My intention this morning is for us to see that God uses people who fear him. That's the big idea, and that's what I hope for us to learn or to be reminded of this morning. In the 1990s, an academic delegation visited China to speak with the then president of China, Zhang Zumin. And they met with him to petition him to ease the burden of the persecution of Christians within China. And as culturally appropriate, they exchanged gifts. And one of the gifts that was given to Zhang Zunin was the Gospel of John, with perhaps the suggestion that the president might read this book might hear about the Lord Jesus. And the President's response was fascinating. He said, perhaps I will read this in honour of the nanny who raised me, who was a Christian. God uses people who fear him. Last week we saw, as we opened up in those first couple of verses, the first seven verses of the book of Exodus, we saw that God has a plan. In fact, we saw from the book of Genesis that God had a plan and he was working this plan out and that this plan is based on his promises. We saw that firstly last week and we saw that secondly, God not only has a plan, he's working out his plan, but he does this in quite remarkable, surprising and in surprising ways. At the end of uh, the book of Genesis, we see the betrayal that Joseph's brothers bring before him, the famine that comes into the land, and yet, at the start of the book of Exodus, God has preserved his people. He's kept his promise to Abraham that he will not only give him a child, that he will bless the nations through this child. And at the start, in those first seven verses, this promise is being fulfilled. Not betrayal or famine is preventing it. But this morning we're going to see that although betrayal and famine may not prevent God's promise from being fulfilled, we're going to see that God's people are up against something much worse. They're up against slavery and slaughter. If you want to open up to Exodus chapter 1, you see there in verse 11 that the very product of the blessing of God's people in the growth of their numbers, in the way in which the promise of Abraham is being fulfilled, the product of that fulfilment is a problem for the people of Israel. There in verse 11, this new Pharaoh who didn't know anything about Joseph, he comes to power and he says in verse 11, put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labour. It's hard to see, and I'm sure it would have been even harder to know, how God was being faithful to his promise to Abraham in that situation. What's interesting is back in Genesis chapter 15, God has made promises to Abraham. But when God makes a promise, He's not unaware of the circumstances that will occur for that promise to be brought into fulfilment. Interestingly, he says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, 
He says to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own. And they will be enslaved and ill-treated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. We're reminded that God makes a great promise to Abraham that you'll be the father of all nations. He makes it to this old man whose wife is barren. But he also makes it knowing the circumstances, the context for which this promise will be fulfilled. God says, I will make you the father of many nations. And in Genesis chapter 15, there's this promise, this covenant that is made, and it's demonstrated, this covenant is demonstrated how God demonstrates how serious he is about his promise. And he asks, um, uh, he asks Abraham to tear in half these animals and to place them around such that the consequence for not fulfilling his promise might be known. And so God makes this promise. And this promise to bless the nations is coming to fulfilment. And yet here, from chapter 8, in this first chapter of the book of Exodus, a dark shadow has come upon God's people. And it's not only hard labour that God's people are up against. Have a look there in verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you have helped the Hebrew women, women in childbirth and observe them on the delivery stall, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let him live. Here's Pharaoh's plan. Work them, break them, and that's not the worst of it. Because he wants God's people broken, not just physically, but broken physically. Break them by terror too. If it is a boy, kill him. This is what we might refer in our modern world as ethnic cleansing. But how is this the plan of God? God is working out his plan. And as we saw last week, God is working out his plan and he works it out in surprising ways. And this is, in fact, surprising in a horrified kind of way. But God is working out his plan and how is he doing that? When chapter 1 we see that he's doing that through two women. They're named there, Shipra and Pua in verse um, 15. We read in verse 21, because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. And in saying that there in verse 21, it's not just for the benefit of their families. Back in verse 15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, um, whose names were Shipra and Pua. Back in verse 15, it's interesting how these midwives are introduced and how the Pharaoh is spoken of. Who is named and who isn't? Pharaoh is not named. In fact, he's not named in the book of Exodus. Um, Charlie Heston, I think in his rendition, um, named in Ramses, which is perhaps a good guess from the storehouse's reference, but he's not named. But these two women are 
And they're to be remembered as women who feared God, who were courageous in the face of such threat. Those who stand for God amidst opposition will not be forgotten. But more than just their individual contribution, we're reminded here that we, as Christian people, are part of something that's significant. Some part of something that's, that's in fact bigger than we can even see. Perhaps in this room or when we look at the state of Christianity in our world. Verse 20 says that God was kind to the midwives and the people increased and became even more numerous. The power that Pharaoh had in opposition to God's plans was brought to nothing. And it was brought to nothing not by another army that God raised up, not by some genius, not by some other means, but by two women. Or perhaps we uh, scholars think that these two women were the head of the midwives. It's probably more than just two midwives. And so these uh, women perhaps were the two leaders of the midwives. These midwives, verse 17, they feared God. They feared God more than they feared the mighty power of the Pharaoh king. And they responded in faith, just as Abraham had acted in faith when he offered Isaac as an offering in Genesis chapter 22. Even though these women lied to Pharaoh, which as the Bible um, often is the case, doesn't condemn them in it, they are praised for their outright refusal to take these infant lives because their reverence for life ref reflects their reverence for God. And so God blesses his people through the courageous act of these two women. I want really just for our next section to consider how we respond to the circumstances that we're put in in life. Who or what do we fear? We're placed in a situation, a cultural situation, where Christianity is held with a degree of cynicism, scepticism, and increasing opposition. And so we will be tested, no doubt, in the decades to come. And I think this verse in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 1 could be really significant for us. But the midwives feared God. Because having considered that both sides of the equation are afraid, the midwives feared God, but Pharaoh, who did he fear? He feared the people. And so both the midwives and the Pharaoh were motivated by fear. And that is a very common story of what it is to be a human. Everyone here this morning, everyone watching online, is afraid of something or someone. How many of us are afraid of other people? We're afraid of life circumstances, of living, losing our job, being sick, hurt, alone, 
or losing a loved one. We're afraid of others when we let friends down or disappoint those that we love, those that we respect. We fear sometimes strangers, we fear crowds, people fear small spaces, they fear spiders. And we fear the unknown and we fear death. And so the reality is that we can't escape fear in our lives. There's no easy way out of fear. See, fear actually has a place in our lives. There's a, a role that fear has. It gets us out of bed. It gets us to work on time. It keeps us on the straight and narrow to some extent. And so we will fear something or someone. It's impossible to escape fear. But what the point the Bible makes is the wisest way to live with the reality of fear is to live your life in fear of God. The book of Proverbs says over and over again that that is indeed the beginning of wisdom. So what does it mean to fear God? Well, I think it means that firstly, it's to believe in God. And secondly, I think it means to be aware that he is very interested in our lives in, and in what we do. When we fear God, the presence and the purpose of God weighs upon us. And it, in fact, weighs upon us more than other things. There is no alternative. There is no option of no fear. When we fear God, the presence and the purpose of God weighs upon us more than the world, the flesh and the devil. And some of us might know that the New Testament says that perfect love casts out fear. And so clearly there is a sense of fear that we are not to have as Christians. A slavish kind of fear where we think that God is thoroughly opposed to us in every way and he's going to condemn us and that we're not his children. Then the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ does drive away that fear of God. We are safe with him. That kind of fear is cast away only by faith in Jesus. But even for us who follow the Lord Jesus, there is a healthy fear of God. There are all kinds of things that we say true about God. But what's incredibly important for us as Christians, living as we do, is to remember that God is with us, that he does exist, and that we are to fear him, and that we ought to live our lives like that. We ought to live our lives as if the reality of the fear of God is real, is real in the very moments of our life. And there will be particular times when we are pressed or forced into circumstances where we will need to make a decision, just like the midwives did. But living with the proper and right and healthy fear of God is not just for those times, those particular times, it's for all the time. Think of those midwives. Think of their courage. Their courage came not out of the absence of fear. Their courage came from the right kind of fear. They could have lost everything. If they had feared merely the Pharaoh or their circumstances, 
they probably not would have not done what they did. Although the Israelites were growing, they were still in a foreign land, a minority people among a majority Egyptian culture. And so it, the same is true for us that we as believers increasingly are in a minority, a moral minority, a spiritual minority in our nation. And we must embrace the fact that we're going to believe some things that most of our culture doesn't. And it's important for us to decide now, before we're placed into those circumstances, those pinched situations, what we do believe, and decide now how we are going to respond. If you're going to embrace the reality of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, if you know that the Bible is true, that you love Jesus and are his disciple because God is your father. You're going to believe some things that the world thinks are absolutely crazy. Um, and it's perhaps going to get worse. Uh, there was a time in which Christians a decade or so ago were thought just as perhaps a little backwards, unscientific, sort of laughable. But that's not the situation that we're in now. Christian beliefs aren't just laughable, they're sinister for me. We're not just nuts, but we're in fact nasty. And we harm people by what we believe. Now these women could have feared the culture around them. They could have feared for their lives and their livelihood. They had a lot to lose, not just their jobs or family or safety, but their heads in opposition to the Pharaoh. And I'm sure they could have rationalised their way out of this situation. We're just doing what we're told. Well, we've just got to be good subjects. We're not in charge. It's not our job to make the call. They could have thought, well, perhaps there's a greater good at work. Maybe if you just let a couple of babies through, then others will live. But that's not what they did. They didn't diminish the significance of each and every child that was born. They didn't say, look, they're just babies, not real people, they're not worth that much. And this is in fact the heritage and the legacy that Christian people have inherited over the ages. In the ancient world, it was uniquely the Jewish people who prohibited abortion and infanticide. Infanticide was not finally outlawed until Christianity took a privileged position in the Roman Empire. Christians and those within that Judeo-Christian tradition have always opposed the killing of children, whether inside or outside the womb. And this comes from the way in which Jesus relates to children. Jesus was seen, in fact, as scandalous when he talked about his affection and love for children. When others wanted to push them away, because that's what he did with children back then, Jesus says, no, bring them to me. The measure of uh, love that you have for me is a measure of your love for these children, Jesus says. See, what motivated Shipra and Hua was the fear of God. They didn't rationalise themselves, maybe we could get away with it. 
They fear God. And that's the situation we're in. We're in a situation where we're going to have to make those decisions. And we need to be clear-minded about where we stand and what we believe before we're placed into those situations. And it all comes from how we see God, the God that we fear. Um, Calvin, John Calvin on this passage says that reverence towards God had greater influence with them. And in a book written by David Wells called God and Wasteland about 20 years, it was written about 20 years ago, he raises this question about our reverence for God. He says this, he says, the fundamental problem in the evangelical world today is that God rests too inconsequentially upon the church. His truth is too distant. His grace too ordinary. His judgment too benign. His gospel too easy. And his Christ too common. So we need to have a right view of God. A large view of God. A view of God that the book of Exodus shows us that he does have a plan. He is taking his people through it. And so this morning I want to ask us, is this our God? Is this the God that we believe in? One who makes plans based on his promises and in remarkable, sometimes horrific circumstances, brings them to fulfilment. What we believe about God is shape, shapes how we live. And so will we fear God? Will we fear God in a healthy way, knowing his power over our lives and over creation? Whom will we fear? Will we fear our world? Or will we fear the God who has saved us in the Lord Jesus? Because there is great news for us who do. Because the God whom we fear is also the God who casts out all fear. The God of the hard edges and the angles is also the God of his presence with us. He's the kind of God that we want on our side. The God who, God who is strong enough to judge is also sweet enough to forgive if we would come to him if we would bow, submit, and fear him. This is the story of the book of Exodus. And this is how God works. God works through a small number of people. And he works not when things are amazing and things are easy. He works through difficulty. And he works through opposition. And I think this is a great reminder for us as a church. It won't be easy for us as a church this year. It won't be easy for Christian people in the next 10 or 20 years, but this is how God works. Often we're praying, and rightfully so, we're praying for peace. We're praying for things the way we want them to be. And we're also praying for God to be at work. But often the way that God is at work is, he's at work when the things aren't the way we want them to be. When we face adversity. And just a small group of people in the face of adversity and opposition, that's where God shows his faithfulness. When we fear God, 
We have courage. We have courage to be about his mission in the face of people who might reject us. Turns out that nanny of Zhang Zumin, she was a Canadian nurse and she wanted to be a missionary to China, but no mission organisation would take her. And so she thought she was going to go to China anyway. And so she accepted a position as a nanny because she couldn't find any other job with a wealthy family. And she raises the next president of China. I'm not sure what happened as a consequence of that meeting where uh, he was given a Bible, the Gospel of John. But I do know that millions of Chinese people became Christians over the next 20 years in the 1990s. We're reminded this morning that God has a plan and he's working it out. And he's working it out in our lives. And he's working it out in the face of opposition. And all he needs is a small number of people to fear him and be faithful to him. Amen. Please stand as we sing.